Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that we can come before you uh, to pray and to learn from the wisdom in these pages. Lord, we, uh, we ask that you open up your word to our hearts and open up our hearts to your word. And we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, we're working our way through our Alpha Prayer series. Um, I hope that, uh, that some of us are working our way through that in, uh, in our home groups and our life groups and our small groups with various prefixes. Um, yeah, and so uh, last week we talked about intercession. No, wait, last week we talked about petition. This week we're talking about intercession. You'll forgive me for mixing these terms up because sometimes there is a little bit of overlap. Um, asking God for what we need in a personal, habitual way is what we call petition prayer. It's when I bring my petitions before God for our daily bread. Um, asking his help through the challenges that we are put through in this life. That's what we call petitionary prayer. But today we're talking about intercessory prayer or interceding in prayer. And that's praying to God on behalf of others. Praying to God on behalf of others. And the natural first question that jumps up is, is that substantially different? <laughs> is, there a, is there more we should know about praying for others than about praying for our, our own needs? And the answer is a bit of yes and no. When we approach a mammoth subject like prayer, where there's so much to talk about, and then we chop it up into little categories like petition and intercession and such, then we do run the risk of oversimplifying it. Um, Jesus doesn't actually sit down with the 12 at some point and then define narrow, distinct categories of how they should pray and when. But prayer does have a variety of forms. And these forms are a useful tool for us in understanding the vast body of, of what prayer can be. So the bottom line is, don't be discouraged if you can't neatly fit a prayer that's on your heart into petition or intercession. You know, I'm praying for my partner, but that's also kind of for me. Is there a different rule for that? Don't overthink it like that. These categories are tools for us to approach the topic too wonderful and too rich to study easily in one hit. Now we know that we have a God that is working every day. He is active and alive in the world every day and that he doesn't require us to accomplish his will. He's not a powerless God, he is a powerful God. But that said, we have a God who made people and a God who loves people and a God who loves people who love people. And working through his people, working through the church, is God's chosen primary method of interacting in the world today. That's how he tends to act in the world today. And so from our perspective, which is the only perspective we can operate from, from our earthly perspective, our Father chooses to wait for his people to pray before he acts. Often enough, God chooses to wait for his people to pray before he acts. And that's an incredible truth of Scripture that God may inflict a great suffering on the world and then lift it when his people respond with prayer to him. So this is different from the need for our daily bread. That's an, an elemental need. It's very natural for us to bring that need, that anxiety, before God in petition. But to pray to God that he would intervene and, and lift us, the kind of a suffering from a city, a, a famine, or to bring rain to a, to a dry land, 
or to change the hearts of people who have never known him, to bring them toward him. That's the job of intercession. Intercession means to go in between two people, two parties, that have some kind of uh, hostility or disagreement and then to, to resolve that, to act as an agent to resolve between them. And we seek to become intercessors because that's the example that Christ gave us. From Hebrews 7.25, we hear, Consequently, Jesus is able to save those to the uttermost who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He lives to make intercession for them. Jesus' work on the cross was the great act of intercession in history. Mankind was cut off from God, the source of all life and all good in the world. And then Christ descended from heaven, incarnated as a man, and so fully man and fully God, he could mediate, he could intercede between man and God. And he could pay the price to God on behalf of man for all those who call him Lord. That is Jesus, our great intercessor. But this idea, this idea of interceding, uh, has its roots in the Old Testament as well. So listen to this from Second Chronicles 7, verses 11 through 13. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open, and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. These are words given to Solomon regarding God's people, the Israelites. He instructs that in times when he is punishing them, they can come to the temple, they can make sacrifices. They can seek intercession from the priests there. And when they humble themselves, when the individuals of Israel come before God in submission and ask him to bless the people of Israel, God promises he will hear from heaven those prayers made in his temple. That was always the promise of God to his people. If his people came to his place and made an offering, he would hear them and respond with blessing. God's people in God's place. And what Jesus did is he took the heart of God's promise and he made it new when he died and rose again. Remember, God's promise was about his people in his place. And when Christ came to earth, he came as an Israelite, a Jew, one of God's people. And he visited the temple more than once. And on one such occasion, he famously saw the corruption there and turned over the tables and scattered the coins and the livestock of those operating illicitly out of the temple. They were expectably upset. And they asked for his authority to make such a judgment 
They want a sign for why he's able to do this to them. And this comes from John chapter 2, verse 18. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, the temple was the place of intercession, the place where the sinner meets with God. But now Jesus is the great intercessor, and the place where the sinner meets God is at the foot of the cross. The temple of old is long destroyed, smashed to the ground, built over by invading armies. But Jesus is the true temple. And when he was destroyed, he was raised back up. So God's place becomes located in the person of Jesus. And as for the people of God, we're told, Galatians 3.28, that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So with that one act on the cross, Jesus changed the nature of intercession. Now God's people and God's place are both located in him. And if we are called by name, then we are in him. That means us because we are called by the name of Jesus Christ. We are Christians, literally called by his name. And when my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. So God is attentive both to our individual petitions, our personal requests for help, But he also has great works stored up. Great works he chooses to execute when his people intercede for the church, for the nation, and for the world. And every great movement of God's Spirit, every great movement of God's Spirit in the world is preceded by prayer from his people. Now, modern history is is punctuated with these great surges of spiritual activity that just change lives and, and roll across whole countries. uh, The Great Awakenings in in, uh, Europe and America where the whole communities, whole towns would turn away from an irreligious lifestyle and disinterest in in the things of God and put them aside so that they could pursue for the first time for many of them the, the mercy of God to really know who he was. And these always began with small gatherings of God's people praying for hours at a time, praying fervently, to intercede, that he would move in them. And we know that South Korea experienced an enormous revival in the last hundred years, but particularly in the last few decades, to the point where most South Korean churches have a daily church service, starting at 4 a.m., and all-night prayer meetings on Saturday night. Now, that prayer is powerful, but it is a powerful result The church in Korea didn't start with that kind of devotion. That that enormous 
Radical devotion to God is a product of revival. And revival is a product of the prayer of the saints. A few saints started praying. And a few saints praying yields quite a few saints praying. And quite a few saints praying yields whole churches praying. And whole churches praying yields revival on a national scale. That is what it means to pray as an intercessor. To intercede. To pray with the church. That the church would experience revival. And that those who have never known Jesus himself would soon turn to him. And the fact that God chooses to work in the world in this particular kind of way is a sort of a divine genius on his part. It has to do with the, the communal nature of God himself being, being three in one and the way that he's made us to be social creatures ourselves. Petition prayers come out of our anxieties. They come out of our lives. And those are the things we offer up to God, our anxieties and our concerns. But intercession prayers are born entirely out of our love for our church, our community, our fellow men and women, our nation. And it's born out of love. Listen, for example, to the language of these, these prophets whose job it was to cry out to men on behalf of God and to God on behalf of men. Listen to the emotion in these cries. From Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 16. Give glory to the Lord your God before he brings darkness. Before your feet stumble on the twilight mountains. And while you look for light, he turns it to gloom and makes it deep darkness. But if you will not listen, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. Likewise, the outrage, the indignity that Habakkuk feels in chapter 1. O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and will you not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. This outrage at seeing injustice in the world and a deep longing for God to act. This kind of raw prayer is based on compassion. It's based on love. And a sense of, of moral indignation at a world broken by sin and ultimately compassion for the suffering of those people in that world, both for their physical pains and for their spiritual isolation from God. And the natural outworking of this compassion is to draw close to God in intercession. That's why I call this a kind of divine genius, because God has established his people and this system of prayer in such a way that our love for one another draws us into the presence of God. If we're really genuine about our concern for our churches and our communities, the best thing we can do is surrender that compassion as an offering to the Lord who commanded us to love him and to love one another.
And that's the thrust of today's key passage as well. That's 1 Timothy chapter 2, the first two verses. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Paul writes to Timothy first to advise him for his own life, for his own exemplary behavior, because a pastor, a leader of a church, has a special obligation to be prayerful for the community that he is over. But he goes on to express that he wants the faithful everywhere to be praying. The example that Timothy is to set is to pray for all people and for kings and for those in authority. But the reason for this prayer, the stated reason, is that they may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This intercession is on behalf of God's church that he would protect them from persecution by mobs and by monarchs and those who wouldn't want them speaking the truth of God's word. This is a prayer of love for God's people. Paul's instruction to Timothy is to intercede for the safe and peaceful lives of the people of God. That is a prayer based out of compassion. So we've talked now about the nature of intercession prayer. It's about God's people in God's place crying out to him. Because our Lord has taken the place of the temple and because he's invited all those who call on his name to be God's people, that intercession falls to us. It's an offering of the compassion of our hearts on behalf of others. To offer this compassion up to God who has authority over all things and a vision that sees beyond circumstances. But what does that actually look like? in our lives? How do we become intercessors? How do we become prayerful people, prayer warriors? And I'm going to suggest that we need three things. And I thought I was really clever beginning them all with the letter H, but it turns out it's really hard to say all this together. So all the same, three things. An intercessor's heart, an intercessor's huddle, and an intercessor's habit. Heart, huddle, Habit. And heart comes first. We pray for those people that we love. We pray for those that we love. And we do this naturally enough. And when we do it, God increases our capacity to love. He makes us better at loving people. Like anything else in life, we get better at it by doing it. And if our prayer to God wasn't based on the compassion in our hearts, if it was based on the kind of words that we said in the prayer, for example, the things we listed off before God, well, then we could be very boring and efficient about our prayer indeed. You could set your alarm for 6 a.m. every day, wake up and say, Dear Lord, please help everyone with everything, and may they come to know you. Nailed it covered for the rest of the day. Amen. But no one can pray a prayer that broad and that loveless with any real faith that God will listen to it. There is only one man with the love capacity to intercede on behalf of the world, and that's Jesus, our great intercessor. The rest of us will do well to begin with things a little more our size. 
Members of our family, for example, who don't yet know the Lord. Friends who claimed to know him once, but since appear to have walked away. The health and well-being of our own church. These are things that are close to us. That we should all have some compassion for. And these things we can easily develop a heart to pray for. And as we do, God genuinely makes us more loving. He increases our capacity to pray to him earnestly and meaningfully. And a more loving heart can ache for whole communities, whole peoples, like the hearts of the prophets did. When we learn to love our community, we can intercede for our community before God. So how do we learn to love our community more? Well, the same way we learn to love just about anything. You engage with it. You learn more about it. You have experiences with it. You sometimes grow up in it. I sometimes think we lose our way trying to find particularly exotic places or causes to pray for. Because then we forget the love-centeredness of prayer like this. I spent one day in Los Angeles, in Hollywood in particular, and I was thoroughly underwhelmed. And I know some facts about Hollywood. I've seen the celebrity stars on the Walk of Fame. I've seen the creepy wax museums, the endless endless souvenir stores. It was underwhelming. And I met some interesting people, had some interesting memories, but I can't say I love the place. So my capacity to pray in intercession for Hollywood is not very impressive. And Hollywood needs intercession. I mean, I visited the Church of Scientology when I was there, and let me tell you, those people need some serious Jesus. But I've lived in Runcorn and Sunnybank for 30 years. And I acutely miss this place when I'm away. And the twin pillars of my youth were pinecone fights at Runcorn State High School and minimum chips at Runcorn All Hours. I love my community, and it's very, very easy for me to pray for it. That same thing is true nationally. And I had to think very carefully about this conclusion that I've come to, but I don't think that a person can meaningfully pray for this country if they don't actually have some kind of love for it in their hearts. That's why our traditions and our culture tied up in Anzac Day and barbecues and sport that I'm terrible at and don't understand. This is why all these things are genuinely important because engaging with them and appreciating them makes it possible to love Australia and her people. And if we love Australia and her people, then we can go before God, offering up that love in prayer. And then we can ask that he send blessings and revival on this nation. And all that starts with the heart of an intercessor. Now, love really is the cornerstone of this whole thing, but after a heart, what I call a, a huddle of intercessors is important. Interceding together. Now let me confess first, I don't know what the formula God uses is to determine how many people need to pray for a certain thing for him to move in the world. And it's a question my mind kind of wants to ask because sometimes I think analytically like that. 
God told Jeremiah that if the people repent and turn back to him, that he would send the rain or call off the locusts. And if I was Jeremiah, I'd be tempted to ask, what if 60% of the people pray? Do we get a little bit of rain? Is there kind of a minimum threshold? If only three people repent out of ten, can the locusts avoid their crops particularly? But God chooses to deal with people, with his people, in a corporate aspect that sometimes we're not very comfortable with. We're not given the full chart of how God will incrementally respond to prayer. We're just told that when his people pray, he hears them. So while we should go to our knees before God every day, we should also find time to gather together with the saints and intercede as one. With the believers in our family, we can pray better for the sake of our family. With the churches across Australia, we can pray better for the fate of our country. Every year, churches across Australia participate in the National Day of Prayer and Fasting. Now, should we always be praying about our country? Sure, yes, that there is something meaningful and powerful about the body of God's people across the country, scattered in places, but together in spirit, lifting up their hearts to God. And it does more to grow our hearts in love to engage in that greater huddle of God's people. And we grow in love for our community when our church gathers to pray. And we grow in love for our family when we pray with our family. So that's the heart of an intercessor and a huddle of intercessors. And finally, we need a habit of intercession. It needs to become habitual. Like all prayer, like anything, doing intercession more often and more regularly makes it easier for us, more natural and more comfortable as we do it. And I'm amazed by friends of mine who say they don't sing in church because they're not good at it or that they don't pray out loud because they're not comfortable with it. We only get better at worship and prayer and anything else by doing more of it. And this applies to intercession. And I'll be the first to admit that I don't form habits easily. But I never got good at anything by avoiding it. Now the good news in this case is that anything that you've ever found useful in forming a habit in your life can help to form your habit of intercession. If you're the kind of person who does like making lists of things, lists of groceries or daily tasks, make a list of the people that God's put on your heart, the causes that you have to intercede for, and visit it daily. But if you can never quite make a morning prayer habit stick, then bootstrap it to a habit that does. Put a reminder on your phone to pray, or on the steering wheel of the car when you get in there every morning, or literally strap a note to your boots if you pull them on every day. I know the kind of person that I am. I have been this guy for a few years now. And so I know that if I decide I'm going to pray two hours every day and four hours on Sunday, if I'm very dedicated and lucky, that'll stick for about a week. And then I will start finding excuses to shorten the time that I have committed, and then the habit will just wink out entirely. And then I'll feel bad 
because I failed and I'll try and avoid it for a while. I know the kind of guy I am. But I also know that I have an accountability group that I meet with and that meeting up with them regularly helps keep me from making those kind of excuses because I can deceive myself, but I can't make excuses to them. Now, you know the kind of person that you are, and you know that God has called you to prayer for those people and those causes on your hearts. He's called you to intercede. What would you have to do to make that a habit that sticks, that you can revisit again and again? That's for you to determine. The beauty of intercessory prayer is not only does God hear the prayers of his people when they pray and respond with blessing and revival, but he also works through the saints by opening their hearts to him when they pray. So this week I want to challenge you to make a point of examining your prayer life. It's fairly natural and easy to pray for the challenges in our life as they crop up, the anxieties that we experience. That's the petition part. That's a natural flow of prayer. But what and who has the Spirit put on your heart for you to pray for, to intercede for? And with whom and when can you lift these prayers up to God? And how can you make this a habit of praying this way so that this love offering to God doesn't dry up, but begins to define your walk with Him. Let's pray that the outpouring of our hearts will be pleasing to our Father in heaven, and that in the asking and in the answering, He is blessing His people. Let's pray together. Father God, Your people come before You now, and we offer up our hearts. We ask you to refine those hearts into weapons for your kingdom, Lord. Make us warriors of prayer. We pray for our loved ones and our friends, Lord. In each of our hearts, there's distress for someone who we know well, but who doesn't know you. Draw them close to you, Lord. May your spirit fall on them and bring them to know you as we do, as the Father of our Savior. We pray for our community, Lord, that this church would be a beacon to the people around it, that the community would come to know this place, Sunnybank Baptist, for its kindness and its love and the manner in which the people here love one another. Use your saints in this place to spread your gospel, Lord. We ask for revival. And not only in our local community, Father, but across this country which has given each of us the freedom to live peaceful lives in godliness and holiness, which is filled with people who value justice and family and truth, but who don't yet know you as the author of justice and of family and of truth. We pray for our leaders, that they would make wise decisions and not steer your country away from your will. We ask that you would pour out your spirit across this land and that every voice here will confess that you are God. Make us your intercessors, Lord. 
We believe you are a God who hears our prayers. Teach us how best to honor you with the prayers that we lift up. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.